I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist and the host of this podcast, From Crisis to Connection. This is a podcast about relationships. The relationships with others, of course, but also the relationship with ourselves and the relationship with our higher power. I believe we experience our deepest joys when we're in harmony with these relationships. But when we lose that connection to ourselves and others through our own unhealthy behaviors like addictions, infidelity, secrecy, abuse, and so on, or we lose it by being betrayed by someone else's choices, it throws us into crisis. Getting out of crisis and living in connection isn't always straightforward or easy, but it is possible. And that's why every week I bring you incredible guests who share their life experiences and expertise to help you move from crisis to connection. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. So do you think you're an honest person? According to my guest, Dr. Mark Matheson, in today's episode, he says that most of us actually have a gap between what we believe about honesty and what we practice with honesty. Now, of course, that was somewhat of a gut check for me because I, like you, would like to believe that I'm always honest in every single situation. But what he taught is that honesty is a skill that has to be developed and that our natural default as humans, and especially as children, is to be dishonest, to protect ourselves, to protect our ego, to avoid consequences, to avoid pain. And that if we are not consciously working on practicing honesty, especially under stress, and evaluating our efforts, then we will default to dishonesty when the stakes are high. Pretty sobering stuff. Dr. Matheson has an MBA from Harvard, a doctorate in organizational leadership from University of Pennsylvania. And from 2010 to 2019, he taught both at BYU Hawaii and Southern Virginia University. He's been a partner and a senior analyst with three investment banks, was an adjunct professor for four years, and has guest lectured at eight other universities. He's taught at the BYU Education Week for years and was a seminary teacher and has been a volunteer teacher in the Utah State Prison as well. He has done a tremendous amount of work in this area of honesty. His doctoral dissertation, in fact, was on honesty, and he'll talk about that in here. Just a very fascinating and thought-provoking discussion on honesty, and really helped me, as I talked with him about it, really do my own personal self-assessment so that I can level up and make sure that I'm not only living that way and assessing my own honesty efforts in my own life, but also working with my own children, my family, to make sure that this is something that's clearly communicated as a value. He just talks about how so many times we're just passive about it and assume that people should just know to be honest, that we just tell people, be honest, and they'll just be honest. But there's so many things that can get in the way, and we have to really work and coach and encourage and support and try and build a culture where that can be sustained. Fascinating stuff, and really quite affirming to know that we're not monsters if we have to learn how to be more honest, and that the good news is, is that it can be learned like any skill, and that it's worth working on. Let me jump into my interview now with Dr. Mark Matheson. Hello, Dr. Matheson. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's nice to be with you, Jeff. Thank you for inviting me. I love this topic on honesty. It affects us all every day in all of our relationships. And so I'd love to just jump in and just real quick for our, our listeners to understand what got you into studying honesty. Well, I, I don't want to hold myself out as the epitome of the most honest person you'll ever meet. Uh, I'm just a very interested in observer in it and its effect it's had on lives that I've seen around me, you know, there is just such a huge gap between the expressed desire for all of us that want to be honest 
and our ability to actually do it in practice. Yeah. So that's that's what's got me involved into it. And you know, I did this as my doctoral research for my doctorate, uh, and so I studied exceptionally honest leaders and that were recommended by ethics institutes and tried to to dissect how did they stay honest? How did they do that? So I went to try to get the most honest people out there I could find and find out how they did it. So that that's yeah the background of what I did. In my life, I've been you know aware of, like I read Spencer W. Kimball's biography, and when he was young, he was at boot camp, and you know, when you are in the firing range and you have a ceasefire and you go to get the targets. Well, one time, you know, bullet went off during that time. And you can imagine that the drill instructor was livid. And it turns out that it was Spencer W. Kimball's rifle that went off <laughs> and he didn't have the courage to uh, admit that it was him. You know, he didn't want to get the punishment for doing that. And so I thought, you know, if, a, if someone like Spencer W. Kimball one of my heroes could have an honesty lapse when he's younger. I think there's hope for me. <laughs> well taken. Exactly. Yeah. Another one I remember years ago when I first was, you know, coming out of high school, Lynn Scoresby was one of the, the key researchers I looked at. And he recorded that there was a survey done of high school seniors. And they asked these high school seniors, you know, if there was a boatload of cocaine anchored off Miami, and all you had to do was drive it into the dock and you'd be paid $1 million, would you do it? And 95% of these high school seniors years ago said yes. And wow. that has always stuck with me that you know people can be bought with money and they can change their values with money so easily in our society. And, and that got me wondering mm. how, how some people resist that temptation. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So that gap, that gap between what we say we believe and what we commit to doing and then what we actually do is maybe larger than we'd all like to admit in actual practice. Is that kind of the idea? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I remember one of my, my research subjects said, it's a false presumption for any of us to assume that on our own, absent any reinforcement or support, that we'll necessarily be honest. And another one said, it's easy to think that you're an honest person but habitually shade things or deceive people. So we have a really big gap in our self-assessment of honesty. We'll, we'll all say we're honest. And then when we get in a tight situation, we'll fall back on, you know, our, our deception that we've learned our whole life. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I, and, you know, obviously like a, a self-assessment can be an exercise in dishonesty as well. And so I think that I know for me, as I've, as I've researched and thought about this and preparing for this with you, just about making sure that I'm just constantly assessing and evaluating my own self-assessment and honesty. It, it's just something that we can't be lazy about. I agree with you. It, but so I, I've, I've theorized that we need some special skills. It's, it's just not enough to be desirous of being honest. Right. We have to have some practice at it. We have to work hard at it. Just like any skill, you have to work on it or we'll fall back on the deceitful habits that are so easy to get involved in. You know, from our youth on, we've been trained in dishonesty to avoid punishment. And so we have to have some practice to be honest. Yeah. And that desire that I was talking about, that desire to do something about it, you know, when it's combined with those skills, we can actually move the needle a little bit as it were and, and start to become more honest 
with ourselves and with others. And so you said something interesting about, you know, basically how we're raised or kind of our old default tendencies around honesty. And so going back to, you know, parenting and just how we're raised, you know, is general parenting advice and kind of problem solving abilities, is that enough for us to really rely on ultimately when we're dealing with multifaceted, like dishonest situations that require an immediate response? Yeah, I I think that might be the case for a few families that are really good at this and have spent time teaching honesty to their children. But but most parents, I don't think, spend hardly any time. And unfortunately, the parents probably model dishonesty. You know, the, the mom says, well, I'll pick you up at 3.30. And she forgets. She doesn't do it. She doesn't follow through. So uh, yeah. well, one thing that's helped me and listeners may be wondering, well, what's the difference between honesty and integrity? And I I like the definition that Stephen R. Covey came up with. He said, uh, honesty is telling the truth and expressing reality, and integrity is living up to that expression of promises you've made. So they're sort of inverted. So the honesty part is, you know, saying what is truth, and integrity is following through on your commitments and, you know, state and saying, if I promise to be there, if I said, I'll pick you up at 3.30, Jimmy, I'm going to have integrity and pick you up at 3.30. If not, it's not that I lied to you particularly, it's that I just didn't have integrity and I didn't follow through on the promises. You know, if I commit to my wife that I'm not going to watch any porn and then I, I slip up and don't do it, it's, it's not a function that I've been dishonest. It's a function I haven't kept my promises. I, I have had a slip up in my my integrity. So ultimately, the honesty really means nothing without the integrity, right? That's essentially what it comes down to. Yeah, I think honesty is a subset of the integrity umbrella. Mm, Yeah. So I love that. And it's a a skill, you know, it combines also with trust. You have trust and honesty and a relationship, sort of like the three legs of a triangle. And, you know, if your spouse or your partner lies to you once, you're always going to have that in the back of your mind. Are they lying to me again? Mm-hmm. And so I remember Elder Oaks once said, it's like a bucket. A bucket's function is to carry liquid. And once there's even a minute hole in the bucket and you let, you know, you fill it up at night and you have a little teeny hole, but it's going to be gone. The liquid will be gone in the morning. So honesty in his mind was a hundred percent or nothing, you know, it, and that's, you know, that's a really high ideal, but I think there's some truth there that if someone lies to you once or twice, you'll always wonder whether they're going to lie to you again. So you really have to have clear, full honesty with your partner, or it's going to be tough to have that trust. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. And the skills that we're going to talk about today, these, I love how you put it as skills, by the way, because I'm thinking about parenting my own kids and teaching honesty. I mean, hopefully I would like to believe that my wife and I work, have worked hard and continue to work hard to model honesty and integrity with our kids and our interactions with them. But I love this idea that it's not enough just for them to kind of get our drift about it, but to really specifically talk about skills and help them learn ways that they can be honest. And then of course, we can practice these same things because, because it's not something like you said, most of our default interactions with each other and in our families are about self-preservation or avoiding pain, avoiding consequences. This is what we learn as children. And so to actually put in practice specific skill sets around learning honesty and, and enacting honesty through integrity 
is a very conscious difference than maybe just growing up together and hoping it all works out, you know? Yeah. So my research gave us five basic beginning steps before we get into some advanced skills. Okay. My research said there were five basics and, you know, they can help people that want to be honest. We, we can't do much ever to help someone if they really want to be dishonest, you know, yeah. we can't help them. That's right. So the, this podcast is to help people that want to, as you said, move the needle up a little more, but you know, we're never going to cure the dishonesty in the world. Yeah. Let's jump so, in. What's number one? The number one I discovered was you have to perceive dishonesty as a real threat to the well-being of your family. Mm-hmm. You have to yeah. say, you know, this is a problem. I need to deal with this. If you if you aren't thinking that it's affecting your family, you're not going to do much about it. So I think dishonesty can cancer our families. You know, we express abhorrence at any existing dishonesty, but you know, it's really a scourge that we have to wake up to and say, oh, okay, I need to deal with this. Uh, one of my subjects, he said, everyone faces the consequences of people about them in leadership that are dishonest. I believe that economically, emotionally, spiritually, all of us are being impacted in a huge way by dishonesty. And another one said that he thought it was the plague of our generation right now, trying to deceive each other, tell half-truths, or not even telling the whole truth. Mm. So seeing that this is a, a problem is crucial right from the very start. Yeah, that is so sobering, isn't it? Especially in light of all the things that are happening currently in our nation that, you know, honesty, nobody feels safe right now. Nobody's sure what to believe in the media and with politicians. And it, it goes all the way to the top. It's not just with your marriage or your family. It's like you said, it's a cancer when at the highest levels of government or in institutions that we just don't have that trust. So yeah, that's So yeah, to perceive honesty as a threat and to care about that on a family level and to make it a thing in the family that's something that people pay. Children can explicitly get that message from their parents, that this is something we care about and we value and we're going to talk about. Yeah, I love that. And so so once you care about it, then you have to look at the next step and say, you know, why do we have dishonesty issues and try to understand and self-explore what it is. Uh, One guy that I researched, he said, that he remembers getting his mouth washed out with soap when he was lying, discovered as a youth. And he said, quote, I was a pretty good liar and deceiver in my teenage years, even though I felt like within the home, honesty was a highly valued value. And then he said he traced the source of his early inclination and proficiency to lie and, and deceive to poor family communication skills. He said, I would just smile at my parents and agree with them. And then I'd walk out and do exactly what I wanted to do and completely ignore it. And my parents didn't ask the right questions to find out what was really going on in my life. They didn't dig into it. And why didn't they? He thinks they were scared to death to find out for sure. And so it was easier to hide from it because no one wants to know their kids are cheaters or deceivers. Mm-hmm. You know, So the, the ostrich syndrome where the parents maybe knew something was going on, but they, they just hoped it wasn't true and, and never bothered to really follow up on the area. Yeah. So seeking out the why, like as a parent, it's not enough to say we value this. It's really about like, if this shows up in the family, let's take it a step further and really understand where this is coming from. And I'm guessing as a parent, it's, I know for me, I'm looking at this thinking, I've got to look at myself first and see like, how in the world am I communicating this to my family that this is okay? instead of just blaming the kid. I mean, I love this example where 
the parents, you know, were turning a blind eye to things and there's some accountability for them there instead of just blaming the kid. Because like you said, kids will naturally, you know, they're egocentric. They're going to do, they're going to get what they want. That's just part of growing up and developing. So we can't really blame kids for their default being deception, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I like the, uh, the thermodynamics rule of entropy. Yeah, you know, yeah. Things go downhill if left unchecked and yeah. unproved. And that's exactly what happens with dishonesty. Uh, you see in your kids maybe from you know early on a natural propensity for dishonesty versus you know these leaders I met with, they said they never had to train their kids to be dishonest. That just sort of came naturally. But he said, I had to really work to teach them honesty. The dishonest sort of came natural, maybe a natural man characteristic. I don't know, but yeah. And so we need to counteract that with some solid training and building because the kids are just going to naturally protect themselves with with deception. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Their kids are naturally going to protect themselves with deception. And and while we're not going on some you know witch hunt to blame all parents, I think what we're talking about here is there is something we can do about it in our family cultures that we're living in with the people we're you know responsible for to make it more overt instead of just hoping kids will naturally choose honesty because we don't we don't naturally choose it especially if it's going to benefit us. Yeah, I remember one guy said he never had to teach his kids to steal. He never had to teach them how to lie. Those <laughs> just came naturally. So uh, <laughs> he realized he had to be proactive in this field. So yeah, that, that's why I think this is an important topic for a podcast is if we let it slide, entropy will just take us and we'll just get caught up in deception for the rest of our lives. We have to make a stand and say, I am going to be honest. Uh, the great jurist Oliver Wendell Holmes said, sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle that fits them all. So oh, yeah. if you get into a lying situation, you know, one light leads to another, you know, you just keep trying to protect yourself and you dig a deeper and deeper hole. And I like how someone said, you know, when you, when you're honest, you never don't have to worry about a bad memory. <laughs> when yeah. you lie, you, you got to remember what lies you told. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so much work. So, you know, you're, you're a man of a lot of experience and, and have done a lot of different things. So I'm just curious, like how far have you seen this go? Like in terms of the impact you've seen dishonesty have just in your observations? Oh, you know, I, I was in the financial field, did a lot of investing in my main career. Oh, okay. And I remember once I was a financial backer of a new venture that I thought was really innovative. Business plan was impressive. The profit projections looked great. The first products appeared to be on target, but but somehow the company never got into a groove. Something was wrong. And I I never could put my finger on it. I remember asking the CEO eyeball to eyeball, and he was a, a good friend of mine, if everything was going okay in the new venture and in his personal life. And he always said things were fine. And I still sensed something was amiss, but never could put a finger on it. And after the company collapsed, I learned that this LDS CEO had been lying to everyone. The long nights at the office were spent on questionable websites and results had been doctored to make up for his errant behavior. Mm. And yet, right eyeball to eyeball, he just lied right to a, a good dear friend. And so that, that just really struck me that I lost a good friend and I lost a lot of money in that investment. Oh, wow. Yeah, it had such a direct impact on something that you know you were clearly sniffing out and giving him an opportunity to, to square up. And wow. Th yeah, thanks for sharing that. 
Yeah. So let's talk about with this number two point here, as far as getting into the why and really assessing, what, what do you recommend with that? What are some things we can do? Well, I think there are two practices that we can use to be proactive to analyze our current level of honesty. The first one is you know, to conduct an honesty inventory to, over a week or a day or however long you could allocate to it. Keep a pad and a pen with you and tally how many honesty situations you got into or how many times you lied. You know, I think we'll be shocked how many times we stretch the truth or told what they say is, you know, a little white lie or something. I've often wanted to do this, never done it yet. But if you look at TV shows, especially sitcoms, how many lies are told in a 30 minute sitcom? Mm. Most of the sitcoms, the plots are based around some form of deception. So in watching TV, I think we really get uh, taught how to lie. So I think we need to conduct an honesty inventory. And then secondly, to take that assessment and really ask ourselves some hard questions, reflect on our life and see where maybe we've cut corners in the past and, and really buck up and say, I'm going to change. I'm going to get on a different path than, than the dishonesty path that I've been going down here. Mm, so those yeah. are two things to really uh, do an inventory assessment and do some pondering and reflection to see is this the path I really want my life to take? Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, those are, those are important exercises. And I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking as you're talking about it, I'm starting to do a little bit of it in my own head and yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's important. And I'll tell you your example about the sitcoms is interesting. I'm thinking if, you know, to my listeners, if you're sitting there going, Oh man, I don't know how I could do something like this and really evaluate my own life that directly. Would it be a helpful practice to even just at a, I guess at a sort of a, a beginning level just to, like you said, observe just the environment and the stories and the things that are around us and just start getting good at noticing lies when we see them in other situations like TV or movies? I think that's a great suggestion, Jeff, to uh, to just raise our awareness level mm-hmm. uh, because it's so commonplace that we take it for granted. And so uh, just to sensitize ourselves that, you know, is our environment in a deceptive mode? Is our attainment based on deceptions? Are my family relationships based on deception? Just to really have our antenna up and look around. And, and that may be the first step before we can really evaluate ourselves. You know, we, we all tend to over-esteem ourselves and we, we don't have a good perception. And one of the things we'll talk about in the future, uh, a skill is to really have some outside accountability yeah. to have other people give you some assessment of where you stand. You know, we always, the old the old standby is, you know, 80% of the people think they're above average drivers. So uh, I think it's the same with honesty. We all think we're probably more honest than all our neighbors and all our friends. And so it probably is helpful to get some feedback from others. But, you know, my third point uh, in our basic steps here of where we can make a change here is we need to develop a personal commitment to honesty. So if we've, yeah. if we've seen that it's affecting our families, we've seen that it's affecting ourselves, then we need to finally decide, all right, is this a serious enough situation where I'm going to make a personal commitment to be more honest in the future? We, we can't for long separate our personal honesty and our family honesty. Honesty ends up being the hub of everything we do. Every question we answer, every action we have can have some impact in dishonesty or not. And honest people, I've found in my research, have made a personal commitment to honesty which they were willing to hold despite some obstacles. 
And an honest person keeps commitments with exactness, even when it's inconvenient. And that, that's probably the biggest thing I found was these honest people were willing to do it when it wasn't convenient. Well, that's and kind of the, the real test. Us, yeah. Yeah. That to me yeah. seems like the real test there. So I'm curious in your research and talking to these folks, did you ever get any sort of insight on what their personal commitment looked like in terms of how they did it? Was it just a, a thought they had or was it something that they spoke out loud to someone? I'm just curious what that would look like. Mm-hmm. I did come up with a lot of exact skills that we'll talk uh, about a little bit later. Okay. But, but three questions that I found were pretty universal here that asked themselves, is honesty a priority for me or only when someone calls me out on it? Okay. You know, it, it's like, you know, I got caught. So then I say, oh yeah, okay, I need to do better. But if I'm not caught, you know, I, I'm going to get away with it. Is honesty a proactive core characteristic of the way I conduct my life? Or do I use the default mode of, you know, just protecting my backside? And the third question is, are we usually honest in all our dealings or only, as I mentioned before, when it's convenient? Is there some consistency between our internal approach and our external? Or do we have this desire to do it, but, you know, it reminds me, I love the Japanese phrase of saving face. And that really reminds me of what happens here is people get in the habit of trying to save face, avoiding embarrassment, avoiding punishment, hoping that the, the problem will go away and someone won't, you know, keep hounding them on it. And so they lie, hoping that, you know, somehow it'll get changed without their being proactive about it. Mm, wow. Yeah. So these, these self-evaluation questions are really, uh, in terms of that commitment, these really form the foundation of it. These, this is the guide, if you will, for how to organize your own personal commitment to honesty is, is going through and in some ways answering these, checking these off and saying, you know, is it only a priority when I get called on it? Am I going to be proactive about it? What's my default mode? I mean, those, those are, these are great. I love, I love those questions. So that's a good one to go back and review. So this is basically something that like you've talked about over and over again, I'll just emphasize it again. This is this is a skill. This is something that is practiced. It is conscious. It is intentional, not just hoping things work out. Yeah. So like, you know, athletes or pianists or performers, they practice. You know, it you have a few prodigies that get it right off the bat, but most everyone out there that becomes an expert in their field is to practice, practice, practice. And I'm sorry, but you know, that's what you have to do with honesty. It's not going to be a miracle that you can just, I think, pray and say, God, make me more honest. He's going to want you to work at it. Yeah, so yeah. my fourth point is you sort of have to have a vision, something that, that pushes you to keep practicing that. You know, you want to mm-hmm. perform in Carnegie Hall or you want to play in the Super Bowl or, you know, you have to have a vision of where you want honesty to be for your family and yourself in the world. And, you know, to have effective marriages and families we have to develop strong relationships. And as I said before, relationships that are going to be strong have to have a really strong support base of trust and honesty, or they're not, they're not going to work out. Back to uh, Elder Oaks has talked about this quite a bit. And one of the quotes I really liked from him was, quote, if a person cannot be relied upon to tell the truth, not just usually, but invariably, you can never have a wholly satisfying relationship with that person, whether employee, employer, spouse, friend, or partner. That 
boy, that he just says it so clearly is you're always going to have some doubts. You're never going to have, as he said, a wholly satisfying relationship if you haven't got this honesty thing under control in your life. So if somebody has broken trust in a relationship and they're wanting to repair that trust, instead of just begging their partner to believe them and trust them, they can start really assessing and practicing honesty everywhere in their life and making sure that they are above reproach there because it's something that even the well, the most well-intentioned person is going to need some fine-tuning with. Yeah, and it, it's going to take practice. Yeah, uh, I love that. So, you know, it's like people, you, you'll slip up once or twice. No one is going to be 100% honest all the time. Even these best honest people that I interviewed, they, they messed up, but they, they admitted it. And they said, I'm going to do better. And they went forward and they tried to do better. And they just, you know, they didn't cover it up. You know, that, that's almost the worst thing. Uh, you know, when I like parents that say, you know, Johnny, uh, the, we'll accept that you did something wrong or you told us a lie. But if you try and cover it up, that's what really is going to upset us. And so I, I think that's a good approach that, you know, that we're all going to lie. We're all going to get into a temptation to protect ourselves. But the less and less that we can do that, it will help our relationships and we can practice at it. Uh, one, one thing I appreciate about what you're saying that I really want my listeners to hear is, you know, I, we've talked a lot about a lot of parenting examples of young children who are learning honesty. And we, you know, for the most part, we make, a, we make room for children to developmentally grow into being honest people. And we, you know, we take them back to the store to pay for the thing they stole. We, we catch them in stuff and, and have them tell the truth. And we, we teach and train in our kids like this, but there, there comes a point where I, I know for me, a lot of the times I have these expectations of, of other people, other adults, that, there should, that they should just know how to tell the truth and that it should be like this deal breaker. But the truth is, is that we're all still developing our capacity to live with that level of honesty and integrity. And I appreciate what you're doing in terms of talking about it as a skill, as something that we're going to slip up on, that everybody has different levels of and different consequences, right? Some lies are inconsequential in the sense of real major life consequences. Others are devastating. But for it to be something that we view as a skill that can be practiced as adults and that we can not beat ourselves or other people up about the fact that we're all in this together and trying to have higher levels of integrity. I get in some marriages where there's been so much deception and dishonesty, this can feel intolerable. And obviously people have to decide how they handle that. But as an individual, giving ourselves permission to keep working on this as a skill is to me is very empowering. Yeah. Let, let me give you a, a really powerful example that really touched me from the business world. A fellow, he looked over his family business. He had, he had become the new head of the family business and he found himself facing a dealer who was playing pricing games with their product line. And this dealer you know, was a pretty important customer to them, about 10% of their sales, but he didn't think it was fair to the rest of his customers to have this one customer being dishonest, even though it was a really important customer to him. So he made the hard decision to terminate the selling relationship with that one customer. Hmm. And he thought, oh, I'm going to take a hit. You know, I'll lose 10% of my revenues. But amazingly, the result was that the other dealers appreciated this bold action. And the next year, those grateful dealers made up the sales deficit caused by the loss of this one large customer. And his company was prepared to sacrifice a good chunk of revenue one year to put a stop to some dishonesty, and they ended up being rewarded quite quickly. So since that experience, they've now 
installed a, a company-wide values program. And since they've done that, their sales have doubled and their operating income more than doubled. So they were worried that it was going to cost them to be honest and pretty quickly, you know, good things happen. I love that. That's a fantastic example. Yeah. Let's uh, yeah, let's move on to that, to the fifth one. The faith, yeah, so that, fifth, uh, this is exactly that. You have to trust that you'll get positive outcomes from being honest. You know, we, mm. we usually choose to lie because we think that'll save our necks. We have to have the vision that if I am honest, at least in the long run, that it will be a bonus in my life, that I'll have positive outcomes in the long run. You know, in the short run, that doesn't always happen. We know that in life that you do the right thing and sometimes you get slapped around and you wonder, why am I doing this? But in the long run, you say, all right, I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to develop a reputation for honesty. And so you have to look at it over time and especially honesty skills are tested under stress. You know, it, you can catch a ball on the field in practice, but can you do it in the big game when the championship is on the line? Mm-hmm. So uh, we need to have the stress of reality to test our honesty skills. I remember one of my friends told me a great story from World War II where his family came from Holland and they were under German occupation and the Germans controlled everything. And his grandmother went out to the hinterlands, the rural areas, and traded things that she did in the city for butter and eggs and some of the crucial things that were just really hard to come by during the war. And she rode an old bicycle like you saw in uh, The Wizard of Oz with the basket on the front and mm-hmm. it had a cover on it. And as she got back into the city after getting the, the bartering for these eggs and, and bread, the guard stopped her and said, what's in the basket? And she thought to herself, am I going to be honest or not? And she said, eggs and butter. And the guard laughed, didn't believe her, and just waved her off. Didn't even bother to look in to see that there really was the coveted commodities in there that were so scarce during the war. So <laughs> I, I've loved that example that, you know, when you're honest, I think you can have help from other people and maybe some divine intervention to support you in your desire to be honest. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love that. You know, having a belief, and I think that this can be reinforced with our children if we're in a position, you know, teaching, influencing our children to really emphasize and show them the positive outcomes from that, you know, t- telling the truth and being honest um, is the better way. And I, I think these kinds of stories are huge for reinforcing those values. So these are basic steps or basic beliefs and, and decisions we have to make in terms of valuing honesty and, and uh, more of a mindset kind of thing. And so in terms of taking this a little further, what's the next step for this? Well, after you've decided to make that a part of your life, I found in these honest leaders that there were two related core traits that really supported their being honest. And okay. they shouldn't be new to your leaders. They're not magic, but they're basics that we all know about, and they are sacrifice and humility. So you have to sacrifice to uphold honesty. You have to admit your mistakes, even when it costs you something. And you have to be prepared to be prepared to walk away 
from some situations that might in the short term be profitable or beneficial to you, but you know that being dishonest won't help you in the long term. So you got to be prepared to walk away. And uh, there's another great story that one senior vice president, he related that I just, it's always stayed in my mind ever since I first heard this. He was working for a business and they had a building that they were, you know, not really using. They finally decided to get rid of it, to sell it. And it was on the market for a while and no one was interested. And then finally a guy came in and made him an offer for $500,000 for the building. And this man said, oh, you know, great. You know, he's excited. They had an offer finally. They shook on it. They, you know, I said, great, we got a deal here. And then within the next week, another buyer came along and offered them a million dollars, twice as much as the guy had agreed upon with the first potential buyer. And so he didn't know what to do. And he was worried about what his bosses would say. So he went to the owners of the firm and said, and he explained the situation. I think that's that's an important thing to do is get the cards out, get all the facts out and let the people in authority above you make the decision. And the owners said to him, now you shook on this. You said yes to 500,000. And he said, yes. And the owners said, okay, sell it to the guy for 500,000. And I thought, wow, that took a $500,000 hit to be honest. Hmm. But that story has just always stayed with me. And I have to ask myself, let's see, for half a million dollars, am I going to maintain my honesty? Right. When you put a dollar amount to it, it makes it real. Right. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, what 95% of the teenagers would dock a ship full of cocaine for a million dollars, and then there's an actual scenario here that's real money, $500,000, and they're not willing to take that to give up that integrity. And I have no doubt that that definitely paid off for them. But Regardless if it didn't, the point is is that it's sacrifice and you have to take that risk in order to really, like I guess, embed those deep values of honesty. It takes situations like this. You can't really be an honest person and not have it tested. Yes. Uh, but you can see how that example of sacrificing for honesty rippled throughout the the company. It, oh, yeah. It's used as a, an example. And so you get a lot of benefits, not from just losing half a million dollars, but you've gained a lot of respect and credibility and trust that you've sent a message to the rest of the people in that organization. I see this all the time when I'm working with people who have secrets and they're preparing to do a formal disclosure to their partner of a life full of addiction or secrets and deception. And they really do have a gut check, you know, where they have to look look at themselves honestly and say, am I willing to sacrifice the possibility that I could lose this relationship if I tell them everything I've done? And what's interesting is the research on this, this has been studied, is that over 90% of these relationships actually stay together. And the betrayed partner even says that they were glad that they were told the truth and it actually strengthened the connection and the relationship and set them up to be able to reconcile and restore trust. And so that moment of, I'm about to tell this person something that I know would probably end my relationship. But when they walk into that unknown and they prioritize and sacrifice and put honesty as the first virtue, it ends up in, again, I mean, that those are pretty good odds. You know, 90% of the time it's going to work out for you, but uh, yeah. everything in us, everything in us hesitates, right? It's just, it's scary. Oh, it's a sacrifice. It, it, it's hard. Sa- sacrifice is not easy. Right. That's, that's right. why we call it, a, have a special word for it. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. 
And the second one that I think your listeners will also be familiar with is humility is a core trait of honesty. Yeah. That you have to embrace humility as a guard against dishonesty. And I found that much of our dishonesty stems from our attempts to limit damage to our egos. Oh, yeah. That, that, that's one of the roots of it. And so we can improve this by having some simple actions, uh, accepting some feedback from others, acknowledging the error. You know, honest individuals have the courage to admit their mistakes instead of trying to cover them up, as I said before. I remember one guy said, I have to go back and retrace my steps was the image he used and say, I need to correct this. So he had said something earlier in the day that was wrong. And he went back to that person and said, you know, I've been thinking about this. I need to retrace and correct what I said to you and make it fully honest. Uh, you know, I don't know about the organization you've dealt with, but everyone in the organization knows pretty quickly what goes on. You know, the water cooler. Yeah. Uh, Grape line gets around pretty quickly. So if the boss lies to someone, boy, that example is going to get around the whole company and everyone will know, well, the boss just lied to so-and-so. And so that boss's reputation is going to really take a hit. Yeah. So, and people uh, aren't stupid. Kids aren't stupid. I think it was David, Elder David Benar that talked about how kids can sense hypocrisy. They, you know, they, they can sniff it out so easily in parents. And I think it's so powerful when a parent who's in a position of authority and, and by all means doesn't appear to have any sort of need to have to apologize to a powerless child. But from when they own their mistake and they say, I need to correct what I said, or that wasn't honest, or I apologize for misrepresenting that or whatever it may be, those lessons are remembered. That's powerful. And, and I think, yeah, that risk of losing face, I can't think of any examples in my life where I've had people come back and correct a lie or I've lost respect for them. I think if anything, I, I, you see the courage, you see the humility, it touches us and it's worth doing. Yeah. I remember one parent, he, he said, we're supposed to have all the answers and we're not supposed to admit we're wrong. <laughs> but he said, I was raised in a family where I never heard my father say he was wrong. Yeah. So he said, I want to do it differently. And he said, quote, I've just practiced stepping up to the plate and saying I was wrong. Right. So right. He saw it a different way in his family of origin. And he said, I want to do it differently. And it's an evolution from prideful exchanges to open and honest communication. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here are three phrases I think listeners should write down and memorize. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I'll try not to repeat it. Yeah. You know, if we could, if we could <laughs> practice those three <laughs> phrases and have them on the top of our heads when we're faced with a tough situation, That'll take us down the honest path instead of the dishonest path. Yeah, and, and really managing your own fear around your ego and, and the consequences and everything else like that. And, and it's, it's just absolutely not worth it. And again, like you said, the, the outcomes, the research on, on where this goes when people live with that type of honesty, integrity, it, it just works out. It's so much better. So yeah, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I'll try not to repeat it. It really does make room for us to be human and others to be human, and we're all in this together. So I, I love the permission. I love the emphasis on it being a skill set, something that we consciously choose and then have some practical ways to start practicing that. This has been so helpful. So we've talked uh, in this podcast to try and jump up our desire to be more honest. And I hope to have another time with you where we can get into some really skills. I, okay. I, I'm one of these nuts and bolts kind of guys. Yeah. I, 
uh, the theory is okay, but I really unearthed some really practical down to earth skills that these people used when they were trying to be honest. And I'd like the time in the future to share those with your, your listeners. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I'm, yeah, I agree that the theory is nice, but let's talk about what this looks like in real, real life. So yeah, I'll de- we'll definitely reschedule to get back and uh, record another episode so we can give some, some very measurable tools to the listeners. So that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm sure I'll be talking to you very soon. All right. Thank you, Jeff. I look forward to it. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Matheson for spending time with us today, sharing this great information on honesty. And like he said, in the next episode, I'm going to have him back and we're going to talk about practical skills for how to apply these things and really give you a sense of what this looks like in day-to-day life. I'm excited to speak with him again. We've got that scheduled for a couple weeks and I will definitely share that with you as soon as I get it recorded. I'm really excited to have him back on. Fascinating stuff, stuff I hadn't really thought about and I'm really grateful for his insight and his experience with these things. I really appreciate people like him that really take something as commonplace as a discussion on honesty and really take it to a whole nother level so that we can all be more honest and better people. And I think it's just gonna make such a difference in individual lives and of course in families and hopefully further out. This is how communities and nations get stronger is when we care about these values and do something different with it. Thank you again for all your support for the Illuminate podcast. As always, like I ask you, please leave a rating feedback on the podcast. It makes it easier for other people to find and it can make a difference in so many people's lives. Thank you so much. And I will see you guys in the next episode.